very warm welcome to our latest summary video of ESMO 2021, where we'd like to focus on some, I guess, select key highlights. So I'm Carolyn Chamberlain, Commercial Director here at Blueprint Partnership, and I'd like to introduce you to Siobhan, Siobhan Davis, one of our brilliant oncology directors. So we know time is of the essence for all of our listeners out there, and we want to keep this succinct and really focus on some key game changes and some key themes and topics. Okay, Siobhan, ESMA was clearly a really super busy time for you. So thanks ever so much for sharing your thoughts, your perspectives um, on social media. At a bird's eye level, Siobhan, what were your views on the, the virtual Congress? Kind of how does it compare with ASCO and previous EU Congresses? Anything to report back? Yeah, I mean, um, ESMO was a fantastic weekend, as always. Um, I think one thing that was a really interesting addition for ESMO 2021 were the controversy sessions. And they were an opportunity for the experts to interrogate and debate some of the latest data and the hot topics in the field right now. Um, so two of the sessions that were ran this year were focused on whether checkpoint inhibitors should be part of neoadjuvant neo treatment in triple negative breast cancer and also non-small cell lung cancer. And, you know, these are both really important developments for the respective companies. And certainly with my insights hat on, it was interesting to hear some of the potential challenges that the respective companies may face but also um, to have a quick pulse check on how the participants at the conference were responding to that data um, with the additional polls that they had as well. Thank you, Siobhan. So another kind of question I was thinking of is kind of which data, you know, with your insights hat on that you referred to, kind of which data grabbed your attention and why? Are there any kind of real game changers out there? For, for, for us and our clients and ultimately patients, Siobhan? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it's not been too long since I finished up a project in cervical cancer. And, you know, it is one of those areas with tremendous unmet clinical need right now. Um, and so to come into ESMO 2021 and see four different sessions focusing on four different kind of relatively novel in the context of cervical cancer treatment strategies, all presenting positive data. It was really wonderful to see, you know, Keynote 826, um, which is the addition of pembrolizumab first line in recurrent metastatic cervical cancer, is a real game changer. And, you know, despite it even being a virtual congress, you could really sense the excitement from the comments that were coming through, from the questions that were being posed, you could feel the excitement of the community um, and yeah, a really important and meaningful advance for the patients too. Absolutely, you know, to echo your sentiment, the huge unmet clinical need in, you know, cervical cancer. How do you think this will change first line treatments of patients with recurrent or metastatic cervical cancer, Siobhan? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, without a doubt, will be incorporated into first line practice. Absolutely. Um, I think the only question that has been left in everybody's minds is where PDL1 expression plays a role, and should we be subselecting those patients that have positive PDL1 expression? 
you know, in the trial itself, um, you know, there was a very significant outcome in all comers. So certainly could support quite broad use of pembrolizumab in first line. Um, but also we did see in the subset analysis that, you know, the change for the PDL1 negative patients wasn't a significant change. Um, so I think it's really going to be left up to the authorities to make that decision. And even the, you know, commentators at the end of the sessions were having the discussion between themselves. And it was raised that probably what is anticipated is that the FDA might give it the go ahead for all comers, but the AMA is likely to be a little bit more restrictive and probably go down the route of just approving it for the PDL1 positive patients. Um, Obviously, there's a broader question here, and I think what's interesting about this data isn't just what it means for first line, and probably for many of our clients, the question is, what does it mean for second line? Um, there is such an active area of research right now, so many new entrants trying to join the market in the second line setting, but now the market's undergone a shift. Now we're going to have lots of patients who are going to be treated with a PDL1 inhibitor in the first line setting. And what does that mean for what treatment options still make yes. sense for them in a way in the second line setting? Um, sorry, I'm going off on a little bit of a monologue here, but just one thing that I want to say is that, you know, during the Congress, we saw the data from Simiplumab, their phase three data, positive data, looking for their position in the second line market. And as I say, now these, now that patients are already going to be pre-treated, you know, wh wh where does the position for that fall and some of these other things that are yet to come? Wow. Wow. I was I was watching over the weekend as more posts were coming through. And another one that kind of struck a chord with me is obviously back in July 2021, Pembro received FDA approval for use in combination with chemo for neoadjuvant treatment, high risk, early stage, triple negative breast cancer. The phase three keynote, I think it was 522 data, is positive on its primary endpoints, including for EFS. Kind of what are your views, Siobhan? Should immune checkpoint inhibitors become part of standard of care for neoadjuvant um, TNBC? Kind of, and what about, you know, areas or issues such as toxicity, tox concerns, patient selection? Is adjuvant ICI necessary? What was what? What are your views, or what was coming out of the the expert community at Esmo? It is such a great question, and there was so much discussion on this because it is such a big topic. Um, but I will start by saying this: you know, the outcomes of Keynote Five Two Two were clearly positive. It, like you say, it met its primary endpoints. The data for overall survival isn't yet mature, but it's looking good. And I don't think anybody is sat within the community challenging that the addition of pembrolizumab has brought about a meaningful and worthwhile improvement in that setting. I think actually it's just that there's lots of unanswered questions around its use. So one of the things that happened in Keynote 522 was that they they gave pembrolizumab to patients both in the neoadjuvant setting and then continued it into the adjuvant setting. Um, 
and in the neoadjuvant setting it was one of five treatments being given and so obviously there's a big discussion within the breast cancer community right now about de-escalation of therapies and people are sat here with a regimen that's got five therapies and need to continue it into the adjuvant setting and saying are we maybe correctly tailoring this therapy have we really got a handle on exactly you know who is going to benefit the most from this mm -hmm. you know can the pembro actually be used so we can use a little bit less of the chemotherapy and do we really need to be continuing it into the adjuvant setting so it's not that the data itself's being questioned it's just generated 10 more questions that everybody's trying to work their way through right now um i think if you're asking me based on what i heard what i think will happen i certainly think that in the absence of any other data and there's plenty of it coming i think pembrolizumab will be incorporated into the standard of care i think there is a question of where it's optimally placed and until then there is a financial expense associated with using it um as it was in the trial but i do feel the benefit is so clear that i can't see oncologists shying away from that but i think the question is going to come up in the adjuvant setting and whether people continue to use it in the adjuvant setting certainly for the patients who achieve pathological complete response you know they tend to prefer perform well irrespective of whether pembrolizumab is part of that standard treatment or not so will we see the oncologist saying actually for the sake of a few percent potentially we can drop that there um i think the other thing to bear in mind is that the adjuvant market has evolved there are now other treatment options available um, in the adjuvant setting so we've got capacitabine for residual disease, olaparib for the germline BRCA carriers. And so in the adjuvant setting, oncologists have a choice. And does using pembrolizumab in the neoadjuvant setting force them to continue it in the adjuvant setting and maybe miss out on one of these other therapies that they've just started using? So I think there there's going to be a question of will combination therapy be considered in those patients? Um, but it's all really interesting to see how it will actually play out. Siobhan, we're obviously coming to an end of the, the podcast today. Can I put you on the spot a little bit and kind of, hopefully this is okay, tapping into your expertise, what interests you most or is kind of a big topic in the area of oncology? Bearing in mind, I know that's a huge answer. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose to make my answer relevant to what we've been discussing today, I'd say one big question is how do we treat patients who have previously received an immune checkpoint inhibitor? You know, we've talked today about immune checkpoint inhibitors moving to earlier disease stages, and now it means some of our standard practices for later lines are in question. You know, so the community are asking themselves, what's the opportunity for retreatment? If we are going to retreat, uh, retreat, should that be um, in combination with another checkpoint inhibitor with something else? Um, so there's lots of investigations going on right now. We saw two papers come out of ESMO uh, this year discussing immunotherapy rechallenge in non-small cell lung cancer. One was a cancer vaccine, another was a TKI in combination with checkpoint inhibitors. So it's a topic that's being actively investigated and there's lots of, being lots of different targets being looked at. Um, you know, maybe it'll be immunotherapy targets, maybe it won't. Um, to come full circle to what we were talking about earlier and looking at the cat cervical cancer market, 
Um, maybe here we'll see, you know, the ADCs take a lead um, in that second line. Um, so definitely one to watch. Wow. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Siobhan. Thank you for giving us some of your thoughts, your perspectives, your views on the future, and certainly lots of things to watch there. So thanks again, Siobhan, for your expertise, your interest, and your continued commitment to obviously oncology. And lastly, if any of our clients out, out there would like to let's discuss their needs in, in more detail and how we can support them, um, please do reach out to myself or Siobhan, and we'd be delighted to speak to you. So thanks again for listening to Blueprint Partnership. Mm -hmm.